When I first visualized this sermon, I didn't know it would be on a three-day weekend and, and our masses would be so empty, but I actually in, envisioned passing a live mic around to our visitors and just ask them, what are you looking for? What are you searching for? And if you ask our visitors, not one of them said they're looking for a church that is independent from other churches. They're looking for a church that does not use musical instruments. They're looking for a God that's real, that can help them solve real problems in our life today. And we need to be open and to share that. One of the first places I saw that, it was about a month ago when we went into the prison and there were several of us that were given testimonies. One of the things that opened up the prisoners to us is just the fact that we were there just listening to them. But when we did share our experiences, I, I was asked to share mine. And, and I shared that, you know, as, as a young man, I lost my wife after having three boys. I was a widow with three young boys, three, four, and six. And they go, oh. And there was another man that got up there and shared that, how he lost his 16-year-old son to cancer. And there was another man that got up there and say how his wife went off the deep end and went through a terribly ugly divorce and split his kids. And all of a sudden, the residents are looking at us saying, wow, you guys have real problems just like us. But the thing is, it's not if the storms come, it's when the storms come. And is is your house built on sand or is it built on rock? And we want to share that rock. So what I would like to do is I want to make sure we get to a point that we're not so afraid of looking charismatic in that it's all feelings, because that's a ditch. But on the other hand, I don't want to get to a place where we're just cold and calculated and then just share just doctrine and whip Bible verses at them, because that's not what they're looking at that way either. I believe we got something precious in this church, and it's salvation by grace. Okay, with that being said, I want to read a couple of verses to you. So when we are asked of the reason for the hope within us, I got three verses here. Number one is Isaiah 50 and verse 4. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He waketh morning by warning and waketh mine ear to hear as the learned. In other words, when I get an opportunity to share, what is different? Why are you happy? Why do you always brag on your wife? You don't tear it down like all my coworkers. Why, why, why do your kids arise and call you blessed? What's the difference? Well, we sing a cappella. No, no, that's not the difference. I, I love singing a cappella. Do you understand? But that's not the difference. It says to get, know how to speak, he that is weary. There is something going on in that person's life that they're weary and they're wanting help. We've got to listen to the question and we've got to answer their question. And in that, we share why God is different in our lives. Here's the second verse. Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how to answer every man. Don't pull the cord like those little dolls from the 60s that go back and say the six, same six or seven phrases over and over again. They might ask you a question that you've never had before and your pat answer doesn't work. Listen and you know, know how to answer every man. And then the final reference, which should be very familiar to you in 1 Peter 3.15. 
But sanctify the Lord in your hearts. Be ready always to give an answer. What am I supposed to answer? Not the, not the pat answer. To every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So in other words, I base my answer off of their question. I don't give them something rote. Amen? What are you looking for? Is, is it a person that's going through a divorce? Is it a person that's got a rebellious child? Is it a person that's lost a job? Is it, you've got to listen to their question and you've got to answer it. God's, this Bible is a thorough furnisher and it's profitable for doctrine and rebuke for all instruction in righteousness. It can tell you how to manage your finances, how to get through a marriage, how to raise your children, how, how, how to work on a job, how to be an employer on a job, how to handle gossiping, how to handle a, a crazy in-law, a crazy neighbor, a, 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 a clerk that's been rude to you in a store, a, a customer that's just totally... It tells you how to do all that. And when you follow it God's way, you walk away with a peace and a satisfaction because I've tried too many of my own ways and it doesn't work. Okay, one more thing I'd like to do is I want to go to Psalm 78. I don't know, I'm going to test your memories here, but two years ago I did a, um, a message on the Sunday before Memorial Day. And it was based on Psalm 78. And I'm only going to spend a couple seconds here. I'm not going to repeat that sermon. But Psalm 78 is basically a rehearsal and in the first seven or six, seven verses, it's talking about, hey, here is the history of Israel. And I want, this is God speaking, I want you to know the history of Israel. Because what happens is, is a man is supposed to tell his son, who's supposed to tell his son, who's supposed to tell his son. This is a four-generational story that needs to be passed along. You know what he's supposed to tell them? Not the rules of the worship. The great works that the Lord has done. That's what was supposed to be told. Let me pick it up in here in verse 9. Psalm 78, verse 9. This is all I'm trying to share. What has Jesus done in your life? The differences that he's made. That's what you share with people. Okay? The children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows turned back in the day of battle. So here's a, one of the 12 tribes. And in this particular tribe went to battle and they got scared and they hightailed it and they ran. They retreated. Okay? Notice what it says. They kept not the covenant of the Lord. They refused to walk in his law. They forgot his works and his wonders that he had showed them. They forgot the old things, okay? That's what grandpas are supposed to do. That's what mom and dads are supposed to do. They're supposed to remind them of God's great works. And notice how he does this thing. Marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers, in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea. He caused them to pass through. He made the waters to stand to, uh, as, as a heap. In the daytime, he also led them through a cloud. And at night, he threw a light of fire. He claved rocks. He got water out of rocks. I want you to know, kids, that you got a God that can get water out of rocks. He can rain bread from heaven. So, so here it is. He says, that's the God we serve. Let me tell you the time what he did for me. And you go, wow. All right. So... What I would like to do is maybe you're a little weary or maybe you're a little scared or maybe you think a little unsettled about whether I should be sharing my t testimony or not. I want to go to Acts chapter 9 and this is the conversion of Paul. Did you know how many times he shared that story? A mess of times. If Paul, who's the principal writer in the 
New Testament, who ordained more elders, who had more sons in the ministry, who constituted more churches, who wrote more scripture than anybody else, told the same experience over and over and over again, maybe it's okay for us to do it. But here's the caution. If you share an experience and you do not have any Bible to show the principles are true, then you need to hold off. Do you understand? And I'll I'll cover all that too. But you need to share your story. This is a remarkable story. Last week when we talked about faith, we talked about the conversion in Acts 8, Acts 9, Acts 10. We spent most of last week talking about Cornelius in Acts 10. This time we're going to do this miraculous conversion in Acts 9. What he's going to do at the end of this thing, he's going to tell the story over and over and over again. And you know what his bottom line is? Four things, five things. One, he says, I am a sinner. I did not choose Christ. He chose me. That's the bottom line. I understood the gospel after Jesus called me, not before. The gospel brought my salvation to light. It did not facilitate my eternal salvation. The gospel facilitated fellowship with God, not sonship with God. And the gospel facilitated fellowship with like believers. That's his bottom line. That's pretty remarkable. If you could share that story and that story alone, you're going to be set apart. Wow, that's the God? The Bible needs to be real to the people in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in the place we frequent at work, it needs to be real and you need to share how it affects you and what it made a difference. The, the, the couple years ago, my two daughters were involved in a, uh, a, a Christian group and a lot of people shared experiences and there was a big joke that went around, they teased each other. And, and, and one of the guys was jokingly saying, man, I wish I was a drug addict, drug addict so I could share this great big conversion experience. But I was boring. I was raised in the church. My mom parents drugged me to church. I went to church. I found great. So, so they didn't have this grandiose conversion experience like Paul. Okay? Acts 9, here's the original record of what actually happened. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired him letters to Damascus to the synagogues that he found any in this way, whether they be men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecuted. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. So, so get this. This is, this is wilder than a movie, right? You got this madman, and he's hating Christians. And he goes to the chief priest in charge of the Jewish religion, and he says, Give me a bounty. Give me a arrest warrant to go and arrest Christians and let me, I don't care, just, just open at men, women, old, young, doesn't matter. Anybody that's a Christian, I want them and I want to throw them in jail. This is just hatred. 
And he goes to the chief priest and he gets this, what, what a miracle it is to turn this guy around. And he says, I hate Christians. I want to kill them. I mean, think about it right here. His mentality towards Christians is pretty similar towards Hitler's towards the Jews. Right? That's pretty bad. And God picked him? That's, the, that's why he keeps telling the story. God picked me. I was worse than a Hitler. And then God, Jesus comes to him and he says, Paul. And he says, who are you? Once again, Paul was not looking for Christ. Christ went looking for Paul. Let me continue. Nine, six, Acts 9, 6. And he trembling and astonished said, what will thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and his eyes were opened. He saw no man, but they led him by the hand, and brought him to Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did he eat or drink. And there was a certain disciple of Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. So we're looking at this situation, and, and now Paul is sitting there. He's been struck blind. He's laying there on his knees, and he's saying, what am I supposed to do? So here we are, and he says, I want you to go to a preacher. Okay, I'll go to the preacher. And by the way, as he's waiting for it, and it takes him three days and three nights, to, three days to get to the preacher, he's fasting. And he's praying, Lord, I, I, I guess if, if I was walking down the right and, and something like that happened to me and all of a sudden I get up and I, I'm blind, I think I'd probably fast too. Lord, what do you got in mind for me? Verse 11. And the Lord said him to arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, inquire the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. And he hath seen a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him that might receive sight. And Ananias said, Lord, I have heard of many of this man, how much evil he hath done to many of the saints of Jerusalem. And where he had authority from the chief priest to bind and all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, go thy way. He is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. This, y'all, this is a miracle. You've got this guy that's acting like a Hitler. Jesus comes and blinds him and he sends him to this preacher. And the preacher says, I don't want to preach to that rascal. He says, he's going to kill me. He's killed other Christians. He's had them tossed in jail. I, I, I want no part of this guy. And God says to this preacher, yep, I want you to preach to him. Matter of fact, he's going to turn into a preacher. He's going to turn into a mighty preacher. And he's going to preach unto Jews, and unto Gentiles, and to kings, and to children. Man, he's going to preach to everybody. I don't know. If I was Ananias, I'd still be a little afraid. But he went and obeyed. Verse 16. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for thy name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into his house, and putting his hands upon him, said, Brother Saul. I don't even know if I'd call him brother there. Right? Touch him, but we'll use a 10-foot pole. Are you sure, Lord? The Lord, even Jesus, hath appeared unto thee in a sight as thou camest. He sent me, 
that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes and it had been scales and received his sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, <coughs> he was strengthened. Why did he receive meat? Because he'd fasted for three days. He was weak. Then Saul, certain days with the disciples were at Damascus. This is my favorite part of the story. I'm skipping down to verse 26. So, so he went through his conversion experience and he started preaching a little bit. And then he gets the idea, he says, I want to go to Jerusalem. Got it? So he's in Damascus, he comes down to Jerusalem and we're picking up here in Acts nine twenty six. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were afraid, all afraid of him and believed not he was a disciple. So not only was Ananias the one that was afraid to preach to him after he was converted and he baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost and started preaching, he went down to Jerusalem where all the brethren brethren were. And as he showed up there, they go, it's Saul, you can't come here. You got a terrible reputation. We don't want you in here. And they were afraid of him. Verse 27, but Barnabas took him in. Praise God for the Barnabases of this world, amen? And he brought him to the apostles and he, and he declared how he had seen him in the way. And then he goes through the whole story and he starts sharing his experience. And he was with them coming in and going out of Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay, so I want you to notice <coughs> this is at least one account where Paul shared his experience. Right? The thing happened to him in Acts 9. At the end of Acts 9, he's already sharing experience. This is what happened to me, guys. He says, I, I know, I was persecuting you. And in my old mindset, I wanted you all dead. But Jesus got a hold of me, and he says, not only am I not supposed to kill you, I'm supposed to feed you. Now, he shared his experience with these people. But that's just one time. Let's go forward a little bit. Let's go to Acts 22. In Acts 22, Paul is being persecuted and there's a Roman captain that saves him from a bunch of Jews that it was a mob and they wanted to kill him. And the Jewish captain, I'm not the Jewish captain, the Roman captain, of, he's, he's kind of like a, a mayor of the city. He comes in there and he says, get this guy in here. Because the only thing he's concerned about is creating peace. And there's a riot going on. This mob wants to kill this guy. He pulls the guy out, tries to calm the, the riot. And Paul says, hey... Can I speak to this crowd? Now, the captain, I don't think he was too bright. Because if I was worried about a riot, I'm not going to let the guy that's causing the riot have an open mic. But he gave him an open mic. What do you think Paul's going to do? He's going to share his experience. He's not going to preach yet. That comes afterwards. He's going to share his experience. This is the second time he's going to share his experience. Okay, men and brethren and fathers, hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. And when they heard him speak in a Hebrew tongue, they kept him more silence and saith, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city of Sicilia. Sicilia. Ye brought up in this city at the feet of Gamil, and taught according to the perfect manner, the manner of the law, of the Father, and was zealous towards God, as ye all are this day. And I persecuted this way unto death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. Basically, he's saying, listen, I'm, I'm going to 
keep running the German parallel from the 1940s. Because I was a Nazi. I was raised by the best Nazi teachers. I was a convert. I was the head of the class. I was first in my class. I got uh, my graduation. I got my post-graduation degree, graduate degree. I was given authority. I had responsibility. I was killing people. I was persecuting people. I was Jew of the Jews. Man, I was the man. Verse 5. As I also... As also the high priest doth bear witness of me in all the estates of the elder, state of the elders, from whom also I received letters unto the brethren, and I went to Damascus to bring them which were bound unto Jerusalem for to be punished. Okay, I, I had the paddy wagon. I was going up to Damascus. I was going to get those Christians. I was going to bring them back and have them executed, thrown in jail, just whatever it took. He said, that was me. And it came to pass that as I made my journey, I was come unto Damascus about noon. Suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. I fell unto the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecute thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he goes and he gives this whole account again. And I'm not going to read this whole thing. I would encourage you to read it again. But you know what? He's going to go into great detail. And one of the things I find very interesting is when he shares his account, the actual account that happened is written in Acts 9. When he gives it in 22, he gives a little more details. And when he gives it again in 26, he gives a little more details. Because what happens is, is when you start sharing your account, you start remembering some things that happened, and you start putting pieces together, and you go, oh, the Lord was in that too. As time goes, that's exactly what Paul's doing. So my point is, is why are you going through this? What's this got to do with evangelizing? What it has to do with evangelizing is Paul's starting place was always his experience. When he was dealing with a new crowd, he wanted to show what effect the Lord happened to him, where he started off, the mindset he had, God got a hold of him, and the mindset he had afterwards. And then he goes and he shows that the peace he had, not only with God, but also he had like believers. It's nothing compared to that ruthless life I used to live. That's what he's sharing. That's what gets people's attentions. I want to skip down here when I were to 24. So a handoff is made. So now Paul is being, uh, being held by Felix. Acts 24, 24, and this is after certain days when Felix was come and his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. So he spent a couple days, actually a couple years with this man. Now Felix was a little bit of a political coward. Okay, He knew the man was innocent, but at the same time, he didn't want to let him go because if he let him go, he would have a riot in the city. And the only thing he was being held for is, can he keep peace in the city in Rome back at the headquarters? Did he do a good job of keeping peace? He didn't care about justice. He cared about peace. So he heard Paul. Now, I can't prove it, but when it says he heard him concerning the faith in Christ, I'd bet a whole paycheck that he shared his experience. Can't prove it, but he shared with all. And he had two years. I'm guessing it came out once. That's just my speculation. Chapter 26. Now Felix. Oh, Felix is so happy. 
Finally, my Roman stint is done. So he expires. A guy named Festus takes over him. He, Felix heads back to, to Rome. And here's Festus, and he's looking around, and he's looking at all his responsibilities, and he's looking on the books, and he goes, Paul, what's this Paul guy here for? What am I going to do with him? He's, he, he's in jail, but I don't have a charge for him. What's going on here? And then Festus figures out real fast, well, there is no charge, and he's innocent, but he's in jail, because if you release him, you're going to have a riot, and your job is to keep peace. So what he does, and he says, how can I get this hot potato out of my lap that I just inherited from my predecessor? And he says, I know, I'm going to go to King Agrippa. So he goes to King Agrippa, and he says, King, you're, you're more Jewish than I am. Would you help me deal with this guy? King Agrippa says, yeah, bring him on. So King Agrippa is sitting there with his wife Bernice, and Festus is there, and he calls into Paul. So guess what Paul starts? Anyone want to guess where he started? His experience. Amen? And again, I'm not going to read all these details here, but notice what it says. Acts 26, verse 4. My manner of life from my youth, which was at first among mine own nation in Jerusalem, knowing all the Jews, which knew me <coughs> from the beginning, if they would testify that they, after the most strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand, I am judged in the hope of the promise of God made our fathers. Unto which promise are twelve tribes, instantly serving God day and night, and I hope to come. For which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused a Jew. Why should it be a thing, a credible to you, that God should raise the dead? I verily thought myself, and I ought to do things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. So he goes and he starts telling the story in verse 10. Which thing I also did in Jerusalem, verse 11, I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme, and exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. Whereupon I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests. Does that sound familiar? Does it sound familiar? Yeah, we read it in Acts chapter 9 when it happened. We asked it at the end of chapter 9 when he gave it to the disciples. We read it in Acts chapter 22 when he gave his defense over there in front of uh, the, the, the Roman captain. And here we are again, and he's given the same experience. Verse 12, Whereupon I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And here it is. And when he had all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking and in the Hebrew tongue saying, Saul, Saul, why persecute thou me? It is hard for thee to kick up for prince. And he said, utters these words that we already heard a couple times. He said, who art thou, Lord? And then it goes on, and you can read the rest of that account in chapter 26. He goes on and gives his experience one more time. Y'all, it's okay to repeat your experience to people. That should be the place where you start. And every time he started, because his was a remarkable calling. We had a mini Hitler. And God got a hold of him and shook him. And says, Paul, you're mine. And he blinded him. He brought him to the preacher. Y'all, that, that's just remarkable. And then, <clears throat> one more time, it's briefly alluded to 
but I think I can read between the lines here. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 8, Paul is given the chronology of all the witness of the risen Jesus Christ. And he says, I saw him too. And basically what he says here, and last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. Talking about the resurrected Jesus Christ. That is referring back to when he saw him on the road and God called him while he was on the road to Damascus. I saw him too. I saw the risen Jesus. It was different than the other 12 disciples, but I saw the risen Savior. Y'all, you know to make this reference, he had to give his witness to this church that he constituted, and then a couple years later he wrote a letter to. Y'all, experiences are okay, but they need to be Bible-backed. All right, so Paul's witness, he says, I'm a sinner, I did not choose Christ, he chose me. Number two, I understood the gospel after he called me, not before. The gospel brought my eternal salvation to light. It did not facilitate my eternal salvation. Number four, the gospel facilitated my fellowship with God, not my sonship with God. The gospel facilitated my fellowship with other believers. He says that's a pretty good benefit. Y'all, that was the story, but we always started with where he was. I know when you share your faith and you share with where you were, it makes you vulnerable. Amen? You're going to describe what dark place you are, but you can't pretend you've always been a holy roller because no one can relate to you. Besides that, you'd be lying. All right. This is what I want to balance. I've been asking you to consider sharing your experience, but it needs to be couched. Okay? There is an account in Acts chapter 15 where the New Testament church almost split. And what the issue was is whether or not to let Gentiles come to the church, be baptized, sit in a pew next to a Jewish convert, and have them have communion from the same cup, have communion from the same bread, have communion and wash each other's feet. And the Jewish converts were saying, no, those people have cooties. I know that's not a King James language either, but, but you know what I mean. They're, they're, off, they're not cool. It's kind of like what the Jews were with the Samaritans. No, we, we, we don't interact with those people. And what happens is, is, Paul is going to give an experience. And Peter's going to give an experience. But then James steps up in this great big Donnybrook, this meeting. And you know what he's going to give? He's going to give Bible. And what he's going to do is his Paul's experience, Barnabas's experience, Peter's experiences, that lines up exactly with Scripture. So when you give your experience... Make sure it lines up with Scripture. Acts 15. Let me read 12 through 15. And they have this great big church meeting. And this is what happens. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. You know what they're doing? They're sharing experiences. Good for them. 
After that, they held their peace, and James answered, saying, Men and brethren, because of what happened, Peter just spoke before that. He says, Peter declared how God, how it first did visit the Gentiles. That was Cornelius that we went over last week, and took out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. There is the confirmation. Experiences are okay, but make sure before you you share experience, the principles line up with Scripture. We have to do, that's the balancing act. That's where all experience is dangerous, is one ditch. That's where all just cold, hard doctrine is the other. Here's the middle ground. You share your experiences, you break into that, but you make sure the experiences line up with Scripture. All right. So let's go just to a couple occasions beyond Paul, and let's see how this goes. Okay, the first thing I want to talk to you about is 1 John 1. I'm going to read two verses out of there. Verses 2 and 3. This is John, the Apostle John, not John the Baptist. He's writing. And he's saying this. He says, For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness and show you that the eternal life which was with the Father was manifested unto us, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is the Father and with his Son. First John 1, 2, and 3. John is saying, listen, I eyeballed some stuff. I touched some stuff. I felt some stuff. I put my head in his breast. I hugged him. He hugged me. We washed feet. We ate together. We preached. We hurt each other. We ministered together. He chewed me out a couple times. I want to throw those fireballs down on those Samaritans. And he corrected me. Man, we had a good relationship. I want to share all the experiences I had with Jesus Christ. He did it because I have a fellowship with God. And by you having a fellowship, God, we can have a fellowship together. And it's going to be so solid. So that's what he started with, what he saw and what he felt. And then he followed it up with a scripture. Let's go to a second witness. Let's go to John 4. This is the woman at the well. Notice what happens. Jesus spent the first half of that chapter talking about working with this woman. So this woman is, comes to the well, and, and, and Jesus is sitting there. His disciples went to get some food. He's there all by himself. She comes up, and they have this conversation about water versus literal water versus living water. They have this conversation. The woman goes back to her town, her citizens. Notice what happens in verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that I ever did. So here's this woman. She goes to the well, has this conversation. He says, you go home, tell your husband. And she goes, "Uh uh-oh. And he says, listen, I know your situation. You've been through divorce and remarriage five times. And now you're living with a six guy. That guy's not your husband. And she's going, how did you know that? She goes back to her townsfolk. She shares what Jesus did with her. And because of her personal testimony, guess what? Some people believed. But notice what happened. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them. And he abode there two days, and many more believed because of his own word. Now some people saying, you know, Mar- uh, uh, the Samaritan woman, that sounds, pretty, that sounds pretty interesting. But that's enough to take me in. I need some scripture for it. They go back and see Jesus, and you know what? Two days later, they got converted. Praise the Lord. But you know what? It was still the testimony that got him in the church. Okay? Let me give you another account. Probably my favorite of the whole thing. 
Okay? This is also John 9. This is also John, but chapter 9. This is the man that was healed. I love this account. I love this account because here's the Jews. Here's the educated elite, the the chief priests, the elders, the scribes, the lawyers of the law. And Jesus comes across and heals this man. And the Jews can't stand it. They're just beside themselves. And they're using all kinds of legal shenanigans to deny, deny his healing. And this poor man, all by himself, he says, you keep throwing all this legal stuff at me. He says, I don't give a lickety split. All I know is I was blind and now I see. What's he doing? He's sharing his experience. You can put all this, he's, yeah, but, yeah, but th- that's not really what happened. And this poor guy, what do you mean that's not what happened? That's exactly what happened. I was blind and now I see. He wouldn't let him push off of that. That's kind of where I was last night. I was not seeking the Lord, but now I am seeking the Lord. Something happened to me. And I was having people all over the state of Michigan saying, no, but this is not how it happens, and this is what happened. I said, no, I was blind and now I see. And to this agree the scriptures. Okay, John 9, verse 24, and again, he called they the man that was blind and said unto him, give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered and said, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know that, whereas I was blind and now I see. Y'all, you're not moving me off that point. I know what happened to me. I was blind since birth. I've been a beggar all my life. This is my corner. I know this corner. I can tell you how many inches it is from here to the curb, to the first store, to the first building. I know where the bathroom is. I know it all by memory because I've done it for 30-some years. I was blind and now I see. Then say they him again, Where did he, what, what, what did he do to thee? How did he open thine eyes? And he said, he answered him, he says, I've told you already and you did not hear. Wherefore, would you hear it again? Well, this time, will you be his disciples? He says, I'm just going over the same old stuff over and over again. You're not pushing me off my experience. I know what I experienced. Okay? One more, John 12. This is the one of Lazarus. Now, I want you to imagine this. To me, this is pretty remarkable. When we go to Lazarus, you know he was dead. He was in the ground for four days. And, and the people were afraid. He'd been in there for so long that when they opened up the tomb again to let Jesus in there, his corpse started rotting and he was going to smell really bad. And they were really afraid. And they pushed back the rock and Lazarus comes forth. And he's still bound. It's still like a cartoon to me. How did he come forward when he's still bound? Did he just kind of float like he was on a magic carpet? I don't know. But he came forward. I don't think he bunny hopped. I think that'd be silly. But somehow he came forward. And he says, unloose him. And he did, he's living. And some days and a week go by. And here's this man that was dead four days. They got hundreds of people to be give eye testimony. They know it all happened. They can't deny it. And the Jews are furious. 
And they tried all their legal trickery on him and they couldn't do it. He says, I was dead and now I'm alive. Amen? Well, the Jew says we can't deny that story because it's obvious that he was dead. We got too many witnesses to say he was dead and now he's alive. We can't. I know. Let's make him not alive anymore. And they wanted to kill him. We can't have this testimony. He was testifying that Jesus healed him. Let me tell you this story about I got sick and I died. And four days later, my flesh was running, but I came back. And I was actually in better health after my resurrection or my raising from the dead than, than I was two years before. We've got to shut that witness up. Let's kill him. John 12. Much people, the Jews, therefore knew that there he was, that he was there. This is Lazarus. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to dead, because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. <clears throat> I think... I think if, if, if I could go back in time and I could interview anybody in the history of the world, I think Jesus would be my first pick. I think Lazarus would be my second pick. Because what question am I going to ask him? What was it like? Right? Lazarus, what was it like? Don't you know he was giving his testimony? And the testimony was getting around and he was telling what heaven was really like. Those Jews were furious. They wanted to kill him. They got to, they got to shut that testimony up. Y'all, when people ask about your faith, they want to know what did God do for you. They want to know what difference did he make in your life? What difference does he make in your life? What's the big deal? Okay. There'll be a time for family integrated worship. There'll be a time for no seminaries. There'll be a time for a cappella singing. There will be time for that. But don't start there. Amen. Start with the difference Jesus has made in your life. I went back into my archive because I remember, I, I couldn't remember what year it was. I think it was two and a half years ago. I actually was in the opinion that where I was going to try to get people to share their testimonies here in church on Sunday morning. And I went first and I asked for volunteers to come forward and do that. And no one did. And I have not gone back to that. So I'm going to put the same little tinkle out there for you and I am going to ask you men to start thinking about your testimonies and don't pretend that you are a drug dealer or a drug <laughs> narcotic abuser just to come up with something fantastic tell the truth but I want to know what difference did God make in your life because that is a story you need to start practicing. And if you can't tell it to the brethren, how are you going to tell it to a stranger? Amen. Right? Mm -hmm. And I think if we encourage each other, I think a lot of things will start, first of all, we'll start remembering pieces of the story. 
just like Paul's accounts got more and more detail, I think yours will get more. It's not like you're making up stuff. It's just you're remembering stuff. And you, you oh, that happened to me too. Oh, that didn't happen to me, but it kind of happened to me. A little bit. Mine was a little bit different, and then this is the way it went. And, and I think there'll be an encouragement. And I, when we start practicing and we start hearing amongst ourselves and we start sharing amongst ourselves, I think you're going to be way more comfortable doing it to the stranger than, than maybe you are right now. So that's my plan. What's my plan? I hope it's a Bible-based plan. I think I've got plenty of scripture there to show experiences are okay if it's couched and the principles line up with scripture. May the Lord bless you. Thank